excited for this morning as we begin a new series that we are calling Let's Eat. All right, Let's Eat is our series uh, for the next three weeks. We're going to look at uh, stories in the Bible of Jesus eating at the table with people, you know, and, and, and each one's going to be a little different. Um, but man, I believe it's going to be really powerful and really good. So we're going to jump in this morning, go right into it. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Verse 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Okay, so a lot happening in these few verses right here. You could probably get seven or eight or ten different sermons just out of these verses that we read this morning. A lot of depth, a lot of stuff going on here. We're going to just narrow in on a couple things this morning. The first of which that I want to talk about is maybe the, the greatest part of this whole story that we can gloss over, and that is the fact that Matthew has now become a Christian. I don't know if you caught that, but Matthew gets saved in these verses. All right? Jesus looks at Matthew and says, follow me, and it's very profound after that, says Matthew got up and followed him. All right, let's talk about Matthew for a second and the state of his life right now. Matthew is a Jew, he is a tax collector, and he works for the Romans. All right, he's a Jewish tax collector, taking taxes from the Jews, giving them to the Romans, getting paid by the Romans for it. Okay, Matthew's not the most popular guy in the world. Okay, he's not going to win the most you know, popular contest amongst the Jews. They actually hate him. They see him as a traitor, right? So we have this Matthew who has no family, no, no, no people group, right, from the Jews. And then he's working for the Romans who really, if, if Matthew were to die, the Romans' response would be, oh, great, now we got to find another tax collector. Like that's the extent of their relationship with Matthew, okay? So another way to put it is Matthew is alone. He is lonely. He's rejected by really both sides. He's being used by the Romans. He's being rejected by the Jews. And when you have the power that Matthew has, it tends to isolate yourself because Matthew's reaction is fine. You're not going to accept me. No problem. I'm going to use my power over you to help these guys over here. And as tax collectors back then, their practice was if you came to me and I'm a tax collector and you owe me $10, I'm going to say you owe me $12 or you owe me $15. And I'm going to get, take that 10, I'm going to give it to the Romans and I'm going to pocket the rest for myself. They were crooks. They were cheats. This was their reputation. That's why when the Pharisees see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they can't believe it. 
Tax collectors, are you serious? These are the scum. These are the worst. These are the ones that are stealing from your people. And you call yourself the savior of the Jews? And you're sitting with the very ones that are traitors of us? Stealing from us? How dare you? So Matthew is alone. And then all of a sudden this rabbi comes walking by. And he says, I want you to follow me. To be selected, to be called by a rabbi, a teacher, was a big deal back in the day. I'm not going to get into it, but there was this whole process of basically weeding out who the best of the best were amongst young men as they grew up in education, right? And there were these phases that, that they would go through. And, and after one phase, they were like, okay, you need to just go and learn your family trade or do this. We're going to keep these guys. And on the next phase, they just kept getting whittled out and whittled out. So there was just a few left. And then these rabbi would, would select disciples for them based on how the disciple would reflect them. Not how they could pour into the disciple, but how would this young man make me look, right? So there's just rejection all the way growing up. And here is Matthew, the ultimate rejected, right? He's got money, he's got power, but he's alone and he's rejected by his own people. And then Jesus comes by and says, follow me. I pick you. And Matthew says, okay, I'm going. I'm out of here. I'm following that guy. So up until that moment, Matthew has no friends. And then in that moment, he has a best friend. Just in that very moment, Matthew becomes a Christian. How did he become a Christian? It doesn't say that he said this prayer, this repeat after me. But yeah, James, where's the, where's the pastor that says repeat after me all this stuff? And then he repeats after him and that's how you get saved, right? No. No. Jesus calls him and he answers. How we become saved, how we follow Jesus is a two-part equation. We turn away from one thing and we turn towards Jesus. That's, that's the reality of it. And that's what Matthew does. He doesn't say, let me bring my calculator, Jesus. I'm still going to have some work to do as tax collector. He says, I'm done. I'm leaving that here. I'm turning away from this and I am turning towards you. And in that moment, he becomes a Christian. He, he follows Jesus. We hear sometimes maybe the phrase, you know, God loves me for who I am. And that's true, right? It's, it's, it's true. But it's not all the way true, all right? It doesn't tell the whole story. Jesus loves us where we're at, right? He, lo he loves us. He loves me. Before you come to Jesus, he loves you. But he loves you enough to want to rescue you, rescue me from the life that we are currently living. Okay? So, so when we hear people say, well, God, he, he loves me for who I am. Yeah, he does. But he's not satisfied with that. Nor should you be. He wants more for you. He wants us to turn away from that and turn towards him. He wants us to go from feeling rejected, feeling alone, feeling like we have nobody, to feeling we have the best friend in the world. We turn towards him, right? So yes, God loves us right where we're at, but he wants to take us so much further, right? That's why with the story of, of the woman who's called it adultery, it's early in the morning. They bring her before Jesus. There's a crowd there and say, she's called adultery. What are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. The law says this. And Jesus' response is, is what? Anyone who hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. 
And from the oldest down to the youngest, they start leaving one at a time. Jesus looks at her and says, go and sin no more. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't, you know, do anything like, how dare you? He says, go, sin no more. I love you right where you're at in this moment of public humiliation. But I just want you to turn towards me and never have to face this feeling ever again. So that's what Matthew does. He's called away from the former self. But in doing so, what he receives as he turns towards Jesus is acceptance. Right? Is a friend. Is forgiveness. Is true identity. All of these things. And we get, we get so caught up in the things that we're turning away from when we, when we choose Jesus. That we don't even consider the things that we're receiving when we turn towards him. Which is life. Which is freedom. Which is releasing this burden of this thing, these things that we've been carrying. She says, let me take those. Turn away from this and turn towards me. Christianity is new wine. Jesus is new wine. There has to be a breaking of the old ways. You know, we just took 30 guys to Costa Rica last week. And we had a great time. We call those mountaintop experiences where you go it's like youth camp if you ever been to a youth camp mountain type experience like woo I just I, Jesus I cried every day blah, 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 right <laughs> did the same thing on the guys mission trip by the way and I think I was the number one in line on that one good night I could not say a sentence in coaster without crying it seemed like it was got called out on it a couple times too it's like I'm aware I was there I heard myself but we have these, these experiences where, where Jesus just pours this new wine into us. And the problem is, is sometimes we come back home and we try and contain that new wine and old wine skin. And we try and continue to live just like we did before this mountaintop experience, containing the new wine. And what Jesus says here is you can't do that. If you try and live in your old ways with this new wine in you, it's going to burst. And the new wine is going to fall on the ground. But if we take the new wine, the things that Jesus has poured into us, and we begin a new way with new wineskin, Jesus said both will be preserved. So when we have moments, whether it's in church on Sunday, whether it's on a trip, whether it's at the well, whatever it might be, whether it's in your, in your house with just Jesus and you, and we have that encounter where you know for a fact that he is pouring new wine in you, what we have to do is say, that old guy's gone. I'm not going to keep living that way. Because if I do that, it's just going to burst and run out onto the floor. And then we're going to say, what happened? What happened to that fire? What happened to that feeling? What happened to those goosebumps? I'll tell you what happened. You didn't change. And the new wine's on the floor. But if we get that new wine, and we hear Jesus say, follow me. And we're like Matthew, and we say, we say I'm done. I'm following Jesus. That new wine is preserved because now we're walking around in new wineskin. And that feeling doesn't go away doesn't mean that life isn't hard but the joy that we have which is not the same as happiness but the joy that we have in Jesus to get us through those things is still there it's still preserved but we have to embrace the new wine with new wineskin Paul says it the best in Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 7 but whatever were gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The old wine, the old gains, the old titles, the old wealth, all those things he's saying are worthless. He calls them garbage. Other translation calls them excrement. Okay? Now, I, I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm not saying this. Please don't be offended by this. I, I, but what he's saying here is all those old things, all that old way of life, those old wineskins, the things that I thought were important before Jesus are crap. Like, they don't mean anything. They're garbage. I used to put so much of my efforts and my identity and all those things, and Paul's saying, now I don't even care about it. I don't care. I, I just want to know Jesus. It's like that song we just sang. I speak the name of Jesus over all those things. That's what I want. That's what I care about. I consider everything a loss. Just get it off me. It says in verse 9, and, and so he says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He's saying, I'm done with religion. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. The story of Matthew 9 is very clear. We have two different things going on. We have religion and we have relationship. All right? We have religion and we have relationship. And relation, our religion... We're going to go into it in a second, but religion puts you on the outside looking in. Relationship gets you at the table eating with Jesus. That's the biggest difference right there. Verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained all, all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. In other words, saying I want to take hold of him as he's taken hold of me. I want to pursue Jesus just as Jesus pursued me. I want to be best friends with Jesus as he is best friends with me. That's what Paul's saying. I want that. I'm going to continue to pursue that. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. It means going to Jesus, repenting, asking for forgiveness, and then letting it go. Not letting our past define us. Not letting that old wine and those old wineskins go into this new chapter of our life. Forgetting it. And we've, when you make that decision to follow Jesus, whether it's your first time or you're a thousand, just, just in life, God, I'm going to follow you right now, the devil's going to try and get in our ear. Say, what about then? What about then? What about this? This is who you really are. Paul's saying, no, no, forget about that. Forget about that. That's the devil trying to bring those old wineskins in with the new wine. Because he, he knows what's going to happen too. It's going to burst. Paul's saying, forget that stuff. It doesn't matter anymore. You're new wineskin with new wine. You are born again. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. You are not defined by your past mistakes. None of us are. By the grace of and love of Jesus Christ. Not by what Paul said, having righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That doesn't do it. Only the grace of Jesus Christ is what does it. That's what we pursue. So how do we get there? It's a great question, right? <laughs> great, James. Awesome. How do we get there? How do we have the heart of Paul? 
Let's look back at the story of Matthew chapter 9 and look at this whole thing about religion versus relationship. Let's talk about religion for a second. Religion separates people into two categories, good and bad, which is kind of laughable, right? Because I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail too far on this, but like if you choose religion and you start putting people in good and bad, then like who decides that even, right? That just becomes our own, right? Oh, you're good. Well, what's about them? What do they say is good and bad, right? You know what I'm saying? But religion puts people into categories of good and bad. That's why the Pharisees who were religious, who did everything by the law, but Jesus staring them in the face, in the room with them, couldn't recognize him because they were so caught up in doing. Doing and practicing religion. That's why out of their own mouths, they said, how could this guy sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners? They've now categorized these people as bad. They're sinners. But we know in Romans 3.23 what the Bible says about that, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all that way. Right? That's why our mission statement here at Beaches Chapel says we are a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no categorizing here. We all need Jesus. Right? We're all in that same boat. But, so we invite everybody in to turn away and turn towards. So we, it's, it's a home for all, but to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus. Right? So that's what religion does. It separates and that's why Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. What is he saying there? Because he's saying that no one is righteous on their own. He's really talking about self-righteousness. Right? He's talking about the people that think that I can do this, that I, I'm now self-righteous. I'm going to look down on people because of all the things that I do. And I'm categorizing people. Jesus says, I didn't come for you because the self-righteous are never going to turn to Jesus because they're their own Jesus. He's saying, I came for the people who are sick, that know they need a savior. Isn't that interesting? We spend so much tr time trying to be better for Jesus while he says very clearly, I came for the people that know they need me. And we just waste all this time and all this energy trying to be good for Jesus. He's saying, if you would just say that I need you, then I'll meet you. I didn't come for the righteous. So stop trying to be on your own. That's what Paul's saying. I'm done with that. This righteousness that comes from the law. I don't want that anymore. Here, here, here's the, the ultimate danger of religion. Religion will eventually lead you to say or feel, God owes me. God owes me. I have gone to church every Sunday. I tithe my 10%. I even give above sometimes, and I don't tell, well, like three people. Right? <laughs> If it happens to come up in conversation, maybe I say something about it, right? I read my Bible. I don't do this. I don't do that. So therefore, God owes me. He owes me a seat at the table. So why then is that person taking my seat? Listen, y'all, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us a miracle. He doesn't owe us a lottery ticket. He doesn't owe us an explanation. He owes us nothing. Do you know why? Because he already gave us everything. He gave us everything. And he's sitting there going, you, want, you still want something from me? My son wasn't enough? Dying the most brutal death in the history of mankind? God doesn't owe us anything. 
But religion will put us in a place where we think he does. He goes, look at all the things that I've done. Going back to Matthew 9, it says, but go, go and learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We need to look away from our sacrifices. They're going to put us in places that lead us to religion. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. And instead, we need to look towards mercy. And the only one who gives true mercy is Jesus. He's saying, look towards me. We're not called to religion. We're called to a person. We're called to a relationship. We're called to Jesus. And that person, Jesus, wants to eat dinner with us. He wants to sit at a table and eat a meal with us. How incredible is that? That the creator of the universe says, I just want to have dinner with you. You know, we, we've said it here before, and I think one time I said it was like everyone kind of laughed like I was joking, which I mean, maybe how I said it was funny, but like we genuinely believe in eating here at Beaches Chapel together. Like, we believe in it because there's power in it. If you ask some of the guys that went on our trip this past week, some of the most profound moments were over food. Can I get an amen for the sushi guys? Mm. Right. But that's, that's why there's certain times in our community groups where we just break from the study we're doing and let's, let's go somewhere and have breakfast or have dinner. It's, it's, it always blows my mind. Like we have these early morning Bible studies and they're good and they're rich and there's great conversation. But sometimes when we go to Sonati's and have an apple fritter or a breakfast burrito, like there's more freedom there, like more deeper discussion over that than in the back room with our Bibles open. Why? Because walls are let down when we eat. There's just something that happens. We relax a little bit. And that's what Jesus wants us to be with him. That's what he wants us to be with him. He wants us to be relaxed. He wants us to have food with him. If you look in Acts 2, the, whole, the, the church is built on worship, prayer, sitting under the word, and eating together. Helping each other out. Though that's, that, that's the church. We overcomplicate things, Right? The light's got to be, listen, I don't know about, I think church is still happening, even though we are having a lighting situation, right? Like, it's still happening. It's, it's simple. It's really simple. And eating together is one of the core principles, the founding principles of the church, of Jesus. And the reason so is because that's what he does. Ministry happens around the table, and the creator of the universe wants to have a meal with you. Back then, Eating together was so much more than I think we see it now. It was intimate. It was intentional. There was purpose behind it. Having dinner together meant something. So Jesus invites Matthew, and then that night goes to his house. Say, hey, invite your friends. Let's have dinner together. So you're not just calling me away from my old self. You, you actually want to eat with me. It's a big deal. Matthew eleven nineteen 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law mutter, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is accused of being friends with tax collectors and sinners. And then it says that these very tax collectors and sinners are the one ga ones gathering around Jesus. You know, what, you know what these tax collectors and sinners are? 
they're at ease around Jesus. They're at ease around him. They're not stressed out. They're not worried about what he's going to think of them, how he's going to judge them, if he might condemn them. They're at ease with him. And I just want to throw this out there to all of us. When was the last time you really talked to Jesus as a close friend? Where you were just at complete ease with him? Because that is his heart. You know, again, my favorite verse in the Bible, Matthew 11. At the end of that chapter, Jesus, you know how he describes his heart towards us? Is gentle. His heart for you is gentle. Gentle and lowly. Not hard, but gentle and inviting. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, he wants to have dinner with you. Why, why, why would the world's worst sinners, so they say, be at ease around Jesus? Because Jesus eating with them means that no matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus wants an intimate relationship with you. No matter who you are or what you've done, he wants that intimate relationship with you. And when we feel that and we receive that, we're immediately put at ease. Religion puts us on edge. It says, I got to do this, that, that, and the other. Jesus says, no, forget about the sacrifices. Let's talk about mercy. Sit at the table with me. Who in our lives do we feel really safe with? Safe enough to open up about everything. Everything. That's Jesus for us. And you might say, oh, that's my best friend or that's my spouse or that's my sibling or whatever it might be. But even if there's there are certain things where, you know, maybe we got to wait till they're in the right mood, right? Or things are going okay, right? Like, I'm going to tell them this. I'm just not going to tell them right now. You know what I'm saying? Or I need to work out. I, you know, you have to pe- give yourself a little pep talk. All right, I'm going to say it. I say it just like this. Okay, I'm going to, it's going to be really good. And they're going to hit, and we have to kind of like, you know, Figure it out. we got to figure out how we're going to say these things. It's not that I'm not going to say it. Just got to figure out the right way and the right time. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? No, just me? Okay, all right. Okay, sure. You never have to rehearse or wait for the right time with Jesus. Never. We can get along with Jesus and just let it go. Say, oh, I didn't mean to say it that way. That's not really, you don't have to worry about that. Have to worry if, 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 if everyone's in the right mood, if they had a good day or a bad day, or our finances are in a good place to say this, or, or whatever, this, whatever the case may be. We can just tell them. We can sit at the table with Jesus and just say, here it is, Lord. And I know that I can say this to you because your heart towards me is gentle. Because you're not judging me as I say this. You just want me to say it. Because rather than dwelling on sacrifice, you want me to focus on mercy. You want me to sit at the table with you. That, y'all, is relationship. That is not religion. And that's what Jesus wants from us. The message of the gospel and the message of the entire Bible is this. In Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He will always not just receive us, 
but enjoy our presence. Not, can you, I mean, that's a big word always. Followed by another big word, enjoy, right? Wait, okay, always, sure, you're Jesus, I get it. But like, enjoy? I mean, I don't know if y'all know this, but I, I, I can be annoying sometimes. It's true. It's true. I know it's hard to believe. <clears throat> Jesse, you know, she's not here, but she would attest to it. <sighs> but like, always enjoy. He always enjoys us. Doesn't matter the day we've had. Doesn't matter the things that have come out of our mouth. Right? It doesn't matter about all those things. He just wants us. My goodness. How incredible is that? He's never going, I just need some alone time away from you. He always enjoys us rather than refuses our presence. Thank you, Jesus, for that, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're so gracious with us. Jesus is not the idea of friendship abstractly. He is an actual friend. He is an actual friend to you. Do we see him that way? Do we pray to him that way? Do we live our daily lives that way? Where something happens and we want to tell him. Something hard has happened and we go to him. It's, it's not a concept of friendship that is Jesus. It's literal. He is our friend. And whether any of us in here would care to admit it or not, we need friends. We need Jesus as our friend. We need that confidant. We need that person we can trust, who we can go to. And the story of Matthew 9 beautifully illustrates that. He calls Matthew, who is alone, who is broken. He has this facade of power and money, but on the inside, he's a wreck. But Jesus calls him and he goes. He goes. And Jesus can call us and 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 call us. But the change happens is when we go. Will we go and be friends with the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins? Will we turn away from what was and turn towards him? Turn away from loneliness, turn away from rejection and stress and anxiety in fear, in hurt, in pain. And we turn towards Jesus and find healing and peace and joy and a family and community and love and freedom. It's not about religion. The beauty of Jesus when we turn to him, those things that we used to feel like we have to do, we now want to do. When we walk in religion, we hear the word repentance and we almost get angry. We get defensive. When we're following Jesus and we hear the word repentance, we don't even have to wait. We're just, we're just going to him and saying we're sorry. And we're feeling the forgiveness. And we're moving on. And we're growing. And we're wanting, like Paul, to turn away from those old things. We're saying, God, I don't want that. It's garbage. Garbage. I want you. 
I want to know you, Jesus. That's what this is all about. He wants to know you. He wants to sit at the table with you. And I know for many of us in here, we need, we need to be reminded of this. We need to remember when we turned our lives over to Jesus, we did it because he was our first love. And maybe we've gotten away from that. And we still love Jesus, but we forget what it's like to sit at the table with him and just talk freely to him. And we've gotten caught up in all the other things. Doing for Jesus. Practicing Christianity. Blech. What is that, right? Don't practice Christianity. We love Jesus. And maybe there's some of us in here watching online that you're like relating more to Matthew where you felt rejected, felt alone. You have this great facade on the outside, but on the inside, just a wreck. I want you to know right now, Jesus is calling you to say, come sit at the table with me. Be at ease with me. Just be at ease. Be yourself. Open up with me. Share what's on your heart. Turn away from the old things. I got some new wine to pour into you, but you got to put on the new wine skin. Because I want what I pour into you to last. I don't want it to end up on the floor. I want to call the band back up. And I'm going to close with these couple verses out of Matthew 13. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. There's a turning away and a turning towards. It's a selling everything else and committing to Jesus. There's not living on the fence. He wants all of you so he can heal all of you. So he can love all of you. But we can't bring the old wineskin and expect to hold on to the new wine. It doesn't work that way. He wants to free you completely. So I challenge you this week, this is your homework, and hopefully in the weeks to come, but especially this week, when all of us in here, all watching online, to do this one thing this week. Spend a meal with Jesus. Just the two of you. If you're married, love your spouse, but this is just between you and Jesus. You can... Be at work and go sit in your car. You can find a park, whatever. But be somewhere where you can talk to him. Openly. Somewhere where you can be at ease with him. And whether that's an early morning breakfast or a lunch during your work hour. I understand dinner will probably be a little harder for some. But I really want all of us in here to do this. Myself included. I'm holding myself accountable. Let's sit at the table with Jesus. We have a huge, long, beautiful coastline five blocks from here. That's a great place to have a meal with Jesus. But your car, honestly, will do just fine. But spend an hour. Spend an hour with the Lord. Here's what I encourage you to do. Bring your food. Bring your Bible. 
and bring something you can write down with pen. And if you have a journal, bring that. If you don't, buy one, get one, bring notebook paper. Don't use your phone. There's something I think that's more powerful about a pen and paper. And just share the things that you need to share in your heart towards the Lord. And then sit and take your pen, take your paper, and say, all right, Lord, now I want you to speak to me. And just start writing. Just start writing. See what the Lord tells you. We had, uh, you know, hour-long quiet times on our, on our trip last weekend, and so many guys said, of all the things we did, we went to Costa Rica, we did all this stuff, that was their favorite part, because there's nothing like one-on-one with Jesus. If we would just stop, slow down, and give him time, and sit at the table with Jesus, you will be blown away by the things that he will say to you. He's calling us, but will we go to him? I truly, truly challenge all of us in here to do that this week. And if we come back next Sunday and we haven't done it, I want to really ask ourselves, why? Why didn't I do this? Chances are the excuses that you thought you had during the week aren't going to really mean that much by next Sunday. So let's, let's do it. Let's spend a meal with Jesus this week, one-on-one. And, if, and I would also encourage you to do it sooner than later. <laughs> because as the week goes on, it's just, you know, sometimes that fire and that, that desire to do it can just kind of wane as sadly as we go about our week. But praise God, we serve a God who desires that with us. Praise God that when we leave church, we don't say, okay, I have to do this better, I have to do that better, I have to do this, this, that, and the other. Okay, that's a long list, but I think I can do it. He doesn't send us out with chores. There's no honeydew list. It's just be with me. Just be with me. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So we're going to stand up and we're going to close in worship this morning. But I do want to offer a time of prayer. For those that, y'all can stand. Um, For those that, have never received Jesus and you've been trying like crazy you're like you hear Paul's words that we read and you say where he says that you know I'm done with getting that righteousness on my own that's done through the law maybe that's even just been trying to be a good person and there's just still that emptiness in your heart we just want to pray with you maybe you've lost your first love maybe you've been following Jesus and there's just kind of this emptiness when you open the word, you're just like, there's nothing. In worship, there's nothing. It just feels like you're kind of in a desert and everything's really dry. We want to pray for you. And lastly, if you just need prayer for anything at all, I'm just going to open up the altar this morning. We're going to stand with you in agreement for whatever it is that you're walking through. But hear me on this. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, who came to this earth and who died a criminal's death after living a perfect, spotless life, was raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit, who in him and through him everything was created, that by the name of Jesus every name in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow. 
who will come back again one day on his white horse, full victory, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus desires time with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be at ease with him. He wants to sit across the table from you and hear about how your day was. He wants to tell you that he loves you. That's Jesus. It's incredible. It's impossible to fathom the, the, the depth of that reality. That of everything in the universe, everything in the universe, everything in the heavens, he's going, I want to eat with you. Praise God. Let's take him up on that invitation. Let's have our elders come up. Yeah, Donna and Haley, you want to come up? Father, I thank you, Jesus, that we can be at ease with you, that we can take a deep breath, relax our shoulders, and just talk to you, Father. And Lord, that as we finish talking and we give you space, you talk back. You desire to have meals with us. God, help us to let go of the old wineskin. To turn away from the old things, Father. Forgetting what is behind us. That we would press on towards you. God, I know that there's many of us in here who are really, really struggling. Letting go of things. Trusting in you. Wanting so badly to follow fully after you, but it's just there's just can't fully let go. God, give us the courage to do so. And God, as we do, as we let go of those old things, that that freedom that we've wanted so bad is going to finally come in like a flood. Lord, we just praise you right now. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for your patience and your love for us, your steadfast love. Thank you, Jesus, that you've invited us to the table to eat with you. We love you, Lord, and we bless you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything at all this morning, you can just come on up as we worship.